Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> And welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sidster, it's been a long few weeks. That is the truth. Here at the McElroy Hacienda. Yes, we have been full-time, full-bore. Full-bore. 24-7, seven, wait, 24-7, 7 I don't it's hard. To, it, I don't know. We've been busy. Uh, I'm shooting a TV show, and it's the, today's the last day of shooting, so the the finish line is in sight. I had to take a, a little staycation. Is that the popular term that everyone uses? Staycation, but luckily, a little staycation from doctoring this week to just focus on, well, really our two year old. I mean, really that. Um, but but if you think about it, because I've been so busy trying to come up with jokes for people that really I've been doctoring as well. Because as we all know, Sydney, laughter is the best medicine. So you think that's probably the same? It's probably is, the same thing to right. do medicine, like with pills, uh-huh. but also do it with, Well, that's what I do. I do medicine with pills. I do that's, medicine with pills, but I do it That's the advertisement like, next to my name. Like, come see family practice doctor Sydney McElroy. She does medicine with pills. I do it with like pratfalls. Check it out. And stunts and stuff. Do you do a lot of stunts? There's not many stunts and pratfalls. Not many on the show, but I do like fart noises and stuff. Hilarious gags. There's at least one banana peel, right? Oh, yeah. That's the epitome of humor. And that's like, that kind of makes me a doctor because it's the best medicine. Do you you know what that would make you a doctor of? Laughterology? No. No? Gelatology. Gelatology? Yes. What does that mean? That's the study of laughter's effect on the human body. Whoa. That is a real thing, gelatology. So I'm, I'm kind of an amateur gelatologist. I I guess I don't know. Do you know? Care? Do you know? Okay, I, I understand that you know the phrase "laughter is the best medicine." Mm. But do you know the history of laughter as no, medicine? No, Sydney, but I'm betting that you'll be willing to teach me. That's right, Justin. Let me tell you all about it. Thank you to Sam and Matthew and Victor for suggesting this topic. Um, laughter is interesting because it's it's obviously an innate thing. You can certainly choose to laugh. You know, I think certainly there are times where maybe you aren't inspired to laugh, but yeah, you, you can kind force, of force it. laughter. Yeah. But laughter just happens, and we know this uh, because we see infants laughing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we remember. So it can't be a learned behavior. No, it's not a learned behavior. That 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 turning up the corners of your mouth and making some sort of noise, repetitive noise, that is an innate way we have of communicating with each other. Uh, it creates some social bonds. 
you know, in ways that it's, it can be used to, to tell somebody that you like them or you're interested or to bring people together. People are more likely to laugh when they're together. Um, but it can also be used to ostracize. It can be used to tell people we, we don't like you or you are different or you are weird. Uh, so laughter communicates. And it's also been observed in humans pretty much as far back as we go. Part of that is probably because in some ways laughter is the fight or flight response. You know, we've talked about that before, that discharge of the sympathetic nervous system when you're startled by something or you perceive something as a threat mm-hmm. and everything kind of goes on red alert. If you then realize that it is unfounded, that the threat was imaginary, that it was like you you thought you saw a shadow, you thought there was something scary there, and then you look and it was like a hat rack. Right. Laughter is a way to dissipate all that energy that you built up all at once and oh, then okay. realize, which is why I think you see that with little kids a lot. Uh, I, I know, I've noticed that with Charlie. She'll almost she'll see something on TV that's almost kind of scary or startled, startles mm-hmm. her a little bit and she'll start laughing really quickly. Yeah. And it's because she realizes, Oh, I was scared, but Oh, okay. It's okay. okay. Yeah. To, to try to shake it off. Basically. Um, we've known for a really long time that there is a, some sort of positive effect on humans from laughter. And I'm part of that. It's like, you know, cause it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. But, uh, King Solomon gave us one of the earliest accounts of the healing power of laughter um, from Proverbs. And what was that? A merry heart doth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. I think there's probably something to that, if I had to guess. I'm not sure. You're probably going to let me know, I would assume, but that makes sense to me. That jives. You you like that? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I do. Uh, The ancient Greeks agreed. They actually used to prescribe to their patients uh, physicians from ancient Greece, that if you are sick, just go to the Hall of Comedians. Well, I mean, not exclusively. I think it's probably better as a preventative than it is a curative, <laughs> if I had to guess, but... I don't know. Do Do you think that you would tell people, if you're not feeling so great, maybe you should listen to my podcast? Um, I don't think that you should tell people that. That seems, <laughs> that seems like sticky, I, sticky ground. I do but. not tell my patients to listen to my podcast, because that seems unprofessional well that's that's true you shouldn't use the uh the operating theater as your promotional grounds <laughs> for your podcast that's bad form and i can't tell them to listen to your other podcasts because you use bad words that's true <laughs> and your patients have never heard those so no none of my patients have ever heard bad words uh they would they would send their patients to to the theater to be entertained as part of the healing process let me clarify that like you wouldn't just Hey, I don't know. Go laugh. Let's hope it gets better. But as part of it, you know, also laugh. Uh, Hippocrates specifically valued its medicinal use, and he would tell physicians, not patients, but actually tell other doctors, use wit in your dealings with patients because dourness is repulsive, both to the healthy and the sick. Yeah. So, and there's this there's this long history of doctors who teach other doctors encouraging them to use a little humor at the bedside to use a little bit of your natural creativity and wit which is such like a and i can say this because i am one like a nerdy scientist way of talking about social interaction it's okay to use a little humor and wit when speaking with your patient here are some suggested jokes (laughs) exactly statistically proven to alleviate Dour mood. It's funny because there's also usually a little kind of um, a note at the end that if if it doesn't come naturally to you, faking it is not really advisable. 
Faking having a sense of humor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you are just not a funny person, don't try really hard because it will come across as, you know, as unnatural and uncomfortable. That, yeah, that, I agree with that as well. Uh, some, some Native American cultures actually used to have clowns who worked with witch doctors. Well, in case you needed some new things to have nightmares about, there you go. <laughs> clowns that are working for witch doctors. Uh, they realized that... Uh, you know, along with all of the the things that witch doctors would do, whether or not they worked, we're not getting into that, but uh, that having a clown there to make you laugh and entertain you would also be um, helpful. And distracting. It, in that <laughs> in that light, clowns were actually really high, highly regarded within like the hierarchy of the tribal structure. Or in modern medicine, hello, Patch Adams. <laughs> it's like we never got off the clown thing. We're going to get to Patch Adams. Oh, don't hell, you worry. Hell yeah, we are. <laughs> of course we're going to get to Patch Adams. Uh, in the 1300s, uh, a surgeon, Henri de Monville, used to tell jokes to his patients in the recovery room because he thought that specifically as one was recovering from a surgery and all the stress on the body that a surgery did, telling them jokes would... Presumably not a tummy surgery, right? That seems like terribly inadvisable. They've got yeah. stitches, man. That is very true. Having had a tummy surgery, you do not want to laugh after a tummy surgery. No, absolutely not. No, but he, he also wrote about this. Let the surgeon take care to regulate the whole regimen of the patient's life for joy and happiness, allowing his relatives and special friends to cheer him and by having someone tell him jokes. Great. So specifically, get all the friends and family around and tell them some good jokes. Tell them some good, clean gags. Uh, throughout the centuries, we also know that court jesters were there not just not for medical use i don't think you could make the argument that that a you know a royal court would have had a court jester there to heal the king or queen right uh, but certainly to help relieve stress and tension i mean that was kind of necessary like you have to do all these really tough whatever king things mm -hmm. make a lot of hard decisions whatever kings do and uh at the end of the day you might be really tense and stressed out and so it could be good for you to have a court jester yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and as we move through the ages, uh, humor and laughter, of course, we know that they bring joy to people and they're good for uh, counseling people. We, we recognize the link pretty quickly between if someone has depression or what we all probably used to call melancholy, melancholia. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, we used to think their humors were out of order and so they were sad and down. In that case, we, it was actually true. That their humors. Get it? That's the, pretty good, right? <laughs> That was a good one. There, I'm healing you. There you go. I'm, Enjoy I'm better this already. gift of healing. My, my seasonal allergies are recovering as You're we okay. speak. Uh, that, and before we understood depression as a clinical entity, just thinking someone was sad, as it was, you know, melancholy was as close as we would have gotten, uh, that making them laugh could be helpful, um, relieving stress, tension. Uh, and Robert Burton, who was an English scholar from the 16th century, uh, used to specifically write about using it as a cure for, again, for melancholy. Um, Martin Luther also used humor therapy during um, pastoral counseling. Huh. So again, mainly for people who are depressed or grieving, uh, that kind of thing. Do we make um, a distinction between people who are just like sort of naturally jovial and people who are like intentionally using, as you said, humor therapy? Uh, well, these these are instances where people are specifically saying, I use this technique, like I advise this technique. A lot of this was uh, physicians or therapists or counselors or anyone whose job it is to make people, to help heal people, mm -hmm. you know, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, telling other 
caregivers, hey, this tool is really helpful. This is something that I have found makes people better. Here's some jokes that I wrote down that <laughs> you can say. And and Martin Luther famous, most famously, I think, wrote a collection of great knock-knock jokes. That he nailed to the door of the <laughs> church. And I don't think that's how that story goes. Here's my list. <laughs> Everyone, pay heed. Get this one. Knock-knock. Who's there? Interrupting parrot. Interrupting Maca! parrot. Like, that's a great one. You can have that. We've almost taught Charlie that knock-knock joke. We're very close. So close. She also gets it backwards a lot because she'll she'll tell us to say knock-knock. Knock-knock. And she'll say, who's there? (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, is really actually like a great joke. It's a a whole elevated level of humor. Um, But uh, but he also advised that instead of in times of depression, um, or again, what we would have just understood as like sadness, melancholy, Mm -hmm. that it is not good to isolate yourself, that you shouldn't go off and be by yourself, that instead being around people who specifically make you happy and make you laugh could be curative. And part of this is just common sense. You know, when you're sad, you want people cheering you up. You know, that's, that's just makes sense. But these are people who are advocating for it specifically as... And this will fix the problem that I see as a medical problem. Mm-hmm. Um, Herbert Spence was a sociologist from the 17th century who talked about specifically using humor, not just to cheer people up, but if you're really tense. So people who are very anxious or stressed out or overwhelmed, that humor could be a way to diffuse that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher, also talked about using it to restore equilibrium to Betul- your mental and emotional state. Yeah. Using humor and laughter. It seems like this is a very, um, I don't know, it's one of those things that's interesting because it is inherent. It seems like it is almost sort of instinctive that it would make sense that it would be helpful. But I guess at this point, we didn't really have a lot of ways of measuring efficacy of that, right? Exactly. At this point, we're still just, uh, a lot of this is observational. So physicians and, and philosophers and all these different people are are observing it. They're maybe using it in some sort of practice, and then they're kind of just writing about how they think that it is useful, how they think that it is helpful. And there is a lot of literature on laughter just discussing what it is. They ain't kind of taking a step back. The ancient Greeks actually used to, and the Romans used to debate a lot what is laughter? What is humor? What mm-hmm. it, why do we laugh? Why does it happen? What is its purpose? What is its usefulness? The answer to all those questions is, of course, Borat. <laughs> that's that's what that is. Laughter is for Borat? Laughter is by Borat. Laughter and is of Borat? And if you want to know what's funny, Borat. Who makes you laugh? Borat. He's always there to, to crack you up. Laughter My is, wife. Did you hear that? That was Laughter is of the Borat, for yeah, the Borat, Borat by, by the, the Borat. Borat. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. And also it's worth thinking about, I think, that like at this time period, we did not have like pretty much all of our medical treatments were unpleasant. So whatever we could sort of cling to that was like non-invasive and maybe would help possibly exactly would be something really valuable. Right. Which is why it makes sense that it would date all the way back to, especially if you think about Hippocrates as sort of like the father of this kind of medicine, he, his recommendations often would be. Good diet, exercise, get plenty of rest, uh, and, you know, be happy. Mm-hmm. 
and that'll 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 get you most of the way there, which isn't bad advice for anyone. It's also really defensive medicine. Maybe he's the father of defensive medicine. Maybe. Yeah, I can't get sued if I just tell people to eat healthy and exercise, get plenty of sleep, and laugh yeah, a lot. There's nothing no, in there. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna sue me then for saying like, oh, I laugh too much, and well, I don't know. Any now other, I have a hernia. Any other well known doctors using laughter? Well, I'm gonna get to that, Justin. But first, why don't we head to the billing department? Let's go. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Why would you listen to a podcast of TV pilots that never got made? It must not have been any good, right? 
I don't know for a fact that anyone read it. They couldn't get the deal done. There was kind of a regime change. Someone at the studio who was in a decision-making capacity said, these guys seem like losers. They just blamed it on, okay, well, it must be women. We got word that USA had decided to stop doing comedy. Why aren't we making this? It was so good. Hear the TV comedies you never got to see on the Dead Pilot Society podcast. Listen on MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. So we were talking then about uh, some of the other physicians that have utilized humor to, to help heal folks. So a lot of, as we've kind of mentioned, a lot of different physicians and counselors, therapists, philosophers all recognize that humor and laughter was helpful. Uh, in the sense that people seem to subjectively feel better afterwards. But you don't see a lot of mention as to why. Why do we think that that's good? Other mm. than just, you know, I'm, I'm happier now. Right. Uh, in, the, in the 1500s, one physician, uh, Jobert, began to advise that laughter was good specifically for moving blood into the skin and especially like the facial area. That, that, that was a way of... Which, I, I mean, I guess you could kind of, if somebody's laughing really hard and they get flushed. Yeah, it makes sense where you would draw that conclusion. Exactly, exactly. And it was thought that if you did that often enough, that it would actually bring more, like, vitality to your facial features. Mm-hmm. That you would look healthier. That you would have a more robust... A ruddy glow. Glow. Uh, and that it would also help to clean your complexion. That your complexion would be clearer if you laughed more often because of all this excess blood flow to your face as a result of laughter. So there we see somebody actually trying to make kind of a physiological tie to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1600s, there's an educator, Richard Mulcaster, who recommended laughter for people who were suffering from anything that was thought to be like a cold illness. And I don't mean cold in like the common cold. I mean like temperature cold. Okay. We've talked about this a little bit on the humors episode. Right. That there were disorders that were result that were uh, kind of thought of as either cold or hot disorders. And sure. so the way you would combat them was with something that was the opposite. So like disorders that had something to do with like inflammation usually or something like that. Would, would be, be hot. hot. Exactly. And it was often thought that things things that we call the cold you know, upper respiratory illnesses or like pneumonias or bronchitis or those kinds of things would have been thought of as cold type disorders. Um, in addition, melancholy would have been, you know, or depression a cold type would have disorder. been thought of as a cold type disorder. And a lot of those also had to do with the idea of, uh, again, going back to the humors, like too much black bile, too much phlegm, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And it would, uh, he, the, the reason that Richard Mulcaster thought that it would be helpful to combat cold-type disorders with laughter specifically is, again, the idea that it moves blood, that it, which is a warming, a warming force. Yeah, that makes sense. So that you are, so you're transferring this blood to warm the chest, to warm the surface of your skin, because it kind of, I guess if you laugh hard enough, you get sweaty. I guess. I like, I don't usually How laugh. hard are you laughing? That's you must watch Borat a lot, because like that—that's a lot of laughter. Either that, or this guy was super funny. Yeah, just like the funniest. I'm gonna start using him as my reference point for funny. Yeah, are you as funny as Richard Mulcaster? Richard Mulcaster, <laughs> beloved comedian you, and physician. You really need to check out my husband Justin's new television show because he's as funny as Richard Mulcaster. <laughs> Every bit as funny as 1600s educator Richard Mulcaster. Yeah. Uh, he even he even said that in a sense laughter can be thought of as a type of physical exercise. 
Uh, that's a stretch. I wish that were accurate, but that I'm, I'm not sure I can grant that one. Because our audience would be the fittest people <laughs> on earth. <laughs> no. No. Well, no. that'd be pretty good. They'd you be won't allow right. it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the best examples, because all of this is sort of, again, kind of anecdotal evidence or just hy- hypothetical. They're, they're basing their assumptions on why laughter helps people. Uh, well, first of all, on an outdated system of medicine that is no longer used mm-hmm. for humors. Um, but also just based on like, this is kind of what people look like and this is what they feel like afterwards. So I guess that it helped. Something, it's like the, you know, it's like the... Uh, uh, Stuff that had cocaine in it or, or stuff that had um, diuretics in it. Like, something's happening. Like, something changed. Something's working. Exactly. Even if they don't know what. So, the question is, how do we get from all these kind of vague ideas about laughter? And the, and the fact that, I mean, laughter therapy or, or using laughter to heal people probably would persist anyway because people like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun. And it, it's certainly not harming anyone. Um, if we think about like, cause there is something known as humor therapy. Now, what our modern concept of humor therapy probably starts really in the thirties, 1930s, because that is when you started to see, uh, as a result of the polio epidemic and so many children being hospitalized, uh, they started to bring clowns into children's wards. Sorry, kids. <laughs> The idea was to cheer them up. Oh, yeah. I, this sure. is, this is, okay. We, we're knocking a lot on clowns here and we got to be careful. Okay. Okay. You, I'm, I'm in defense of clowns. I'm allowed to have my opinions of clowns, but go on. You are allowed to have your opinion of clowns. I, there are a lot of people who still find cli- clowns very funny. Nobody finds clowns funny. That's ludicrous. That's Charlie, a ludicrous Charlie statement. likes the big comfy couch and that is a clown. Thank you. Okay. That's fine. But those are clowns who like have scripts written for them with jokes in them. Clowns inherently are not funny. They're terrifying. Well, who who inherently is funny if they're just standing there silently? Kevin James. <laughs> I could go on. Rick Moranis. Borat, I assume. Borat, ever heard of him? No, I also think that clowns probably were funnier. Like back in the 30s, I think that... <laughs> when you've never heard, seen anything funny and your family was living off of apple cores... A clown would be a real gut buster. I'll grant you this, but that's also because you're laughing a little bit because it's like anything to distract me from like how much this sucks right now. I think cl- clowning is also an art that you are completely undermining. Like sure, there's a, sure, there's sure. a skill set there. You have to learn so how to be, do. So is being a mortician, but, but they're not chuckle busters either. Listen. Okay. We're all allowed to have our own idea of what's funny. That's fine. Okay. Yes. Fair. I personally don't find Borat the funniest thing on earth. <laughs> well, I can't help you. In 1964, Norman Cousins. Have you ever heard of Norman Cousins? Mm. Okay. He was a journalist. Uh, he was a professor. He was uh, a largely known to for, he was a protester. He was a, a very, in most areas, a very strong liberal protester mm-hmm. um, and, and is well known for that. He was diagnosed with a, a crippling and painful condition, uh, which was probably thought to be ankylosing spondylitis, which is an inflammatory autoimmune condition of the spine and can be very painful. Um, now, that whether or not that is true, that is actually up to some debate at this point because he was kind of, he was doing fine and he went on this trip to Russia and afterwards he got really sick and um, he, he survives this. Mm-hmm. Norman Cousins does not die at this time. <laughs> <laughs> he looked anxious. Um 
but uh, this may have actually been like a reactive arthritis. This mm-hmm. may he may have been misdiagnosed in retrospect. It may have been more of a an acute process that resolved as opposed to a chronic illness that got better. Yeah. Either way, I don't think it really matters. The point is, the doctors told him, "Look, I don't think there's anything we can do for you. You're going to be in a lot of pain. This is going to be really terrible." And this is probably going to be what eventually ends your life. And I'm really sorry about that. And they basically threw up their hands. Yeah. And he said, no, I will not accept this. So he left the hospital and moved into a hotel instead and hired a nurse to help him out. Okay. Now, one of the things he did was take mega doses of vitamin C, which we have mm. already said previously. Did not help. Did not help. Uh, that's fine. But... The other thing he did was watch a lot of comedy. Uh, the com- specifically, what did he watch? The Marx Brothers. Okay, they're they are very funny. <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Terrifying. And Candid Camera. <laughs> no, come on, man. <laughs> Lots of Candid Camera. Lots of Candid Camera. Like what? What did they step in? A pie? Hilarious. Which I love because it's the punk of its generation. W- the punk of his generation. What I was going to say is it's America's Funniest Home Videos. Well, it's both. Yeah. Which if you, if you, could you imagine being locked in a hotel room marathoning America's Home Video, America's Funniest Home Videos over just like. Sydney, please. That's like too dire. I would laugh at a clown at that point. Do you know how many crotch shots you'd see in that? That would, those always do get me. I mean, like as in somebody getting hit in the crotch. Yeah. Not any crotch shots, unless you went to a, a different station at the hotel TV. Don't do that. that you're going to get charged for. <laughs> and that's not going to make you laugh. Uh, he, he later wrote that after, after locking himself in this hotel room, watching tons of, of comedic films and all the candid camera he could stomach, <laughs> that he made the joyous discovery that 10 minutes of genuine belly laughter had an anesthetic effect. So seemed to relieve his pain and would give him at least two hours of pain-free sleep afterwards. Mm -hmm. So after doing this, he recovered eventually from his painful inflammatory condition. Hmm. Interesting. And he kind of became a, uh, a prophet of laughter therapy after that. Uh, spent the next 20 years, in addition to the other things he did, teaching about the merits of humor and and laughter in, in the healing process. And there's actually a movie that was made in 1984 about this. He wrote a book about it, mm-hmm. um, Anatomy of an Illness, perceived by the... Anyway, there, there's a long title. The movie's called Anatomy of an Illness. <laughs> Who's in it? Ed Asner stars in it. I... If the movie has a 10-minute long scene of Ed Asner laughing at Canon Camera, I think I might have a... <laughs> future rental on my hands <laughs> uh you know it's funny I, I did read i was reading about the movie that uh norman cousins was not a huge fan of it really he thought it was over dramatized he didn't like the portrayal um but he did recognize that ed asner tried his best that's he, good he, he worked really hard he's a pro the man's a professional yeah exactly um this and you see this kind of probably in part because of this huge story. This was already a famous guy, and then he did this, and then he wrote a big book about it, and then it became a big movie, and it was a very dramatic. It's a very dramatic story, sure. Um, because he did. I mean, he did get better. I don't know that I could say laughter was the only reason, but he did get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this kind of led in the '60s to a lot of interest in laughter being used for therapeutic purposes. Um, A lot of this was led by Dr. William Fry out of Stanford, uh, who started to study, okay, so we kind of think laughter is helpful. Why do we think it's helpful? And what is it actually doing from a physiological perspective? So we finally see somebody studying it. And that's where I got the term 
gelatology. Okay. This is when we actually see the study of the effect of laughter on the human body become an organized scientific process as opposed to just, I don't know, make them laugh. Um, the, it's, it's funny because in all these uh, different studies, what they would have to do is induce laughter. That's the tricky one. And then like study people. So they would have to like, you know, show them funny things or read them funny stories or have them read a funny book or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Super I, fudge, for example. <laughs> Tales of a fourth grade, nothing. That's a great book. Any of them. But it, it's funny because what, what's interesting about this to me is I was reading about like, well, what did they use? And like some examples I found was the Simpsons are commonly used in these studies. Okay, good. Clips from the Simpsons. South early, Park. Early Simpsons, presumably. I don't know. South Park is used a lot when you read about it. Um, it, it's interesting to me because, I, as Justin knows, I'm not a person who laughs out loud very easily. Mm-hmm. Even when I think something's funny, I don't laugh. You just, just noted. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Um, but but you'd have to try to find something that would specifically make your patient laugh a lot so that you could study it. And from that, uh, we have learned a few things about, about laughter. Um, for one, there are two different types of laughter. What are they, Sid? They, they can be classified as either Duchesne or non-Duchesne laughter, named for <laughs> Dr. Duchesne. Uh, Duchesne laughter is that natural chuckle or giggle that you kind of can't control when something funny happens yeah. and it just hits you and you have that. Um, it usually makes you close your eyes. That's one good way to, to kind of distinguish. There's actually a reflex that happens that squeezes shut the muscles that control your eyes at the same time. And that's real. That that's real. That that is more helpful laughter. Let me say that. I don't okay. want to say that the other is fake laughter. Anything else is non Duchenne laughter, and that could be, it could be a forced laugh. It could be that. I think a lot of people participate in non Duchenne laughter when they go to live comedy shows because you see views of the audience where everyone is laughing hysterically. Well, it's social. You hear other people laughing, and you just laugh. It, exactly, it's a social cue, and that, which is why people are more likely to laugh in groups than they are alone. Mm. Um, So, and also you've already bought into like the theory, like I'm here for a funny thing. I'm here to laugh. And so you're more likely to laugh. Uh, But that laughter is, is unfortunately not as medically useful. There have also been branches of laughter meditation and laughter yoga that have kind of spawned off from this. Uh, As you mentioned, Dr. Uh, Hunter Patch Adams brought laughter into the forefront, especially after the movie that in general, trying to humor your patient while nature takes its course is is probably one of the most useful things as a physician that we can do. Now, what does all this led us to? We've done all these studies. Yeah, we figured it, out different types of laughter. Do? What does laughter do? So some studies have shown that it can reduce your blood pressure. Okay, good. It helps decrease levels of stress hormones in your body. So in theory, this is where we get this idea that it helps you deal with stress and tension, mm-hmm. helps to diffuse stress and tension. Uh, it may boost your immune function. There have been some studies that have shown a little bit of improved immune function after uh, laughter, but I don't know that I would prescribe it for people who are in an, um, you know, some sort of immunocompromised condition. I don't think that you could go that far. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's more of an interesting <laughs> academic point. Um, it also does relieve, endor- it releases endorphins when you laugh, which are thought of as like your natural opiates inside your body mm-hmm. that help you deal with pain. So they've done a lot of studies on people in like put them in uncomfortable positions, standing in an uncomfortable position, and then showing them The Simpsons and seeing if you can stand longer 
or like crouch in that position or whatever while you're watching something funny and laughing than you could otherwise. Yeah. To say like, well, look, they're pain. T-. And they'll say afterwards, like, well, I wasn't in as much discomfort as the people who weren't watching something funny. Wouldn't the control have to be watching something that wasn't funny? What do you think they'd be watching? I don't know. Like Law and Order, I guess. I guess. See, I feel like that would be because I would. My suspicion is it would have an anesthetic effect regardless because you would be have something else to focus on. Well, but specifically, I, now I didn't read about controls. What I read about is that they were in uncomfortable positions and then, then they were watching something funny in an uncomfortable position. Cool. Uh, as far as I could tell. Anyway, the, the idea is that you tolerate pain better when you are laughing. So there you have it. Um, laugh, laugh more. It's good for you. It'll improve your general well-being. And I guess if you laughed enough, it could exercise your abdominal muscles. But that's a lot of laughter. That's a lot of laughter. That's, that's a, a lot, lot of, of you're going to wear out your Borat DVD with that one. Um, folks, that's going to do it for us here on Sawbones. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Thanks for sticking with us, even though we've had kind of a, a wild schedule uh, these past few weeks. It's been that's tough on sure. our end, too. So thanks for being understanding. Um, thanks to the taxpayers for letting us use your song Medicines as the intro and outro and mid-tro of our program. Uh, uh, you can find them on on Bandcamp. It's, uh, it's, I think it's just tax, I can never remember, taxpayers.bandcamp.com or the taxpayers. Try them both. One of those will, will work. They're Thank, worth the extra effort. Yeah, it's worth the work. Uh, thanks to MaximumFun.org for letting us be a part of their network. There's a lot of great shows there now that you can go listen to. And uh, I believe that's going to do it for us. Uh, but un, un, uh, until the next time we have uh, something to speak with you about. Until next week, <laughs> my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.